MailChimp presents. As a marketer, you're speaking to a vast audience. Some people need to be converted into customers, some need to be reunited with their carts, and others have just made a purchase. But when you fail to segment your audience and personalize your messaging, you can get what's called a customer. One big cluster of customers who may seem alike, but actually all have different behaviors. So how do you turn those customers back into customers? With Intuit MailChimp, you can use personalization tools that segment customers into groups, break them up into like-minded target audiences, and send them personalized marketing. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. Hey there, friend. I'm Paul Jarvis, and you're listening to Call Paul. Business is unusual where we've explored how business owners are working their way through their first pandemic. This is the final episode of season one. We started with one global crisis, the pandemic, and now we have another, ignited by the murder of George Floyd. The pandemic still isn't over, there's no vaccine, and still people are taking to the streets, rightly so, to protest systemic inequality and police brutality, all while some are trying to run their small businesses. To end this season, we wanted to check in on our first four guests, Matt, Dave, Dan, and Arshel, to see how they were doing, what was new for them since April, and how they were dealing with all that is going on in the world right now. World being on fire is not making uh, anything easier. Right, right, right. It's like each month, it's like, and wait, there's more. And this time when people are learning Spanish at home and working on their gardens, we've been at work the whole time. I mean, just three or four weeks go by and it's a different world. But um, no, we're changing, adapting. Our first guest was Matt, who with his wife Elaine operates a micro-chocolate factory in Atlanta called Chocolatl. When we first spoke, he was figuring out how to move the business online. He's still working on that, but he's also thinking about the protests and how his already active social justice initiatives can address what's happening currently. There are so many issues, right? <laughs> that it can be overwhelming on where to start. And we focused with our business, we focused a lot of that towards the people in the countries where we're sourcing our cacao and the farmers that we work with. And there are economic and social justice issues around that. Those are different. Um, they're not unrelated from the issues here, um, especially related to Black Lives Matter. We've been contributing and doing things uh, through the company on kind of like an ad hoc basis, you know, contributed to different groups that are doing work in Peru or other places. And it's, but it hasn't been planned out. And what we want to do now is have a strategy for the company making financial contributions, but then, and also determining other projects or organizations that the company can engage with and, and actually have it as a thoughtful plan. There are things internally as a company that we've always talked about and we've not lived fully up to. 
and that's in terms of like our hiring practices. And I mean, we have a very diverse staff in terms of uh, both, you know, race, gender, uh, sexual orientation. But, you know, I think there is more that we can do when we have open positions to target specific groups, essentially recruiting, you know, rode my bike home from work on Tuesday. Uh, and went through downtown by the CNN Center, where we've had a lot of uh, protests kind of started, and uh, just hung out there for like 30 or 40 minutes before the curfew. And just being out there was really re-energizing. And instead of feeling like another thing that I didn't have time for, it actually felt like this is a really good use of my time. Our second guest was Dave, who transformed his honey-based spirits company, Wayward Distillery, on Vancouver Island, into a hand sanitizer factory. In the beginning, Wayward made hand sanitizer for first responders and gave it away for free because it was the right thing to do. Since we talked, their sanitizer has been picked up by a major grocery store chain in Canada, and in the last three months, he's worked nearly every single day. It's been pretty good. We make way less money making hand sanitizer, but I can make a lot. At the height of it, we had 2,100 square feet of tentage outside of Wayward. Um, I had 12 people here working full time. Last year, I made 25,000 liters of alcohol, honey-based spirit. In April of 2020, I did 36,000 liters of sanitizer. So I did. 50% more than my annual production in one month. Everything about that is crazy. Um, moving the fluid, the bottling, packaging, the logistics, the staging containers, staging pallets. Um, I ended up renting an old dairy building, which is really close to us. Um, so now we've moved most of our sanitizer production to the other building just to keep the heart of everything we do pure. You know, like Wayward is a honey-based distillery. We are fundamentally against the grain. We use, we only use honey in our spirits. So we wanted to keep that pure and making hand sanitizer for grocery stores. Well, it was needed. It really, it wasn't what, what we do. Our third guest was Dan from Kinship Goods. With his co-founder and wife, Hillary, they've been screen printing graphic tees for causes in West Virginia, like a local teacher's strike that made national news, the last women's health center in the state, and one that simply says, vote, damn it. Last time we spoke, he was working on a design for a new shirt to help financially support other local businesses. So we launched that and we've raised like seven grand so far. Um, which is pretty great for businesses in our city. And um, starting tomorrow, we have, we're raising money for um, Black Lives Matter here in West Virginia and some um, bail project funds happening in Louisville, Kentucky, where there's a lot of um, protesting going on, which is where we're originally from. Um, so we're just like kind of pivoting into this like community support thing, which we know how to do and we feel kind of helpless so it gives us kind of an outlet for that and um you know try to fight the fight in our own way was there a conversation um between you and hillary as far as 
you all, because you have been involved in, in activism and community before, was there a conversation about how to approach that? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, mostly the conversation was just like, we should do anything. So like yesterday we painted a Maya Angelou quote on our window. Um, and, you know, it's like, that's not changing the tide by any means, but it's like the least we can do as business owners once we do something like when we paint in the window, other businesses will reach out and, you know, say something along the lines of like, good on you or, you know, thanks for talking out. And then the follow up from us is always like, you could do the same thing. Um, you could paint your window, you could do whatever. It's not that hard. When we paint something in the window, like it was in the news last night, we were on the news and, you know, the comments, as you can imagine, are not all great which is fine and a lot of people's secret weapon is just um i'll never spend another dollar there and our answer to that is always like well i don't want your dollar um yeah i want to be able to sleep at night i would rather go out of business on the right side of history than stay in business on the wrong side so um yeah anytime we can talk to a business about it and we've passed it along that like hey this isn't a hard thing to do to show support um it doesn't even need to be optic you don't even need to share that you're doing it um just solidarity in any way um i think goes a long way and that's really sad it's really sad that us painting our window is such a huge like thing to do it's mm -hmm. the i mean honestly the bare minimum very least thing we could do is be like hey we also care about you. Our fourth guest was Arshel, the owner of Bombshell, an African clothing company with a factory in Monrovia, Liberia. Last time we checked in, they'd begun making masks out of their beautiful, colorful fabrics. Arshel was quarantining in Atlanta until it was safe to return to Monrovia which obviously still hasn't happened. So now, on top of running a business remotely, she's trying to process the horrific events of the last two weeks. It's been interesting also because my birthday was on Friday. I did like an Instagram live and I had mailed out a bunch of packages to some friends with tie-dye shirts and things so that we could all celebrate in our various places. And my mom wore her I Can't Breathe Eric Garner shirt when she went on live with me. And she was like, you know, I've had this shirt for so long. And my mom is always the first person to wear any bombshell, like for everything, you know, anytime she's going to do anything. So she was like, well, I wore my bombshell head wrap, but I had to wear my, my Eric Garner shirt because I didn't think I would need it so specifically again so soon. And then my sister's did not join my um like the family zoom because they were out protesting yeah. and they were like it's just something that needs to happen which is like i'm i'm okay with it because it was very interesting for me to be on the zoom celebrating but then like i'm in atlanta and everybody is you know is protesting like i, I get it it's hard to celebrate. So my moods all weekend were like up, very grateful for the people around me and then down because it's, you know, I get to celebrate my birthdays and some people do not. It's hard because there's there's so much happening in life and there, there's so many important things mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. A lot of friends have taken the opportunity, obviously, to reach out 
and not everybody knows what to say and I get it. And, um, you know, I, I found that a lot of people are sharing our business as like, you know, businesses of color to support. I've gotten more white followers on Instagram in the past two days than I probably had in total, you know, just in people trying to, whether in placing orders, showing support, being interested in finding voices of color, you know, people of color who do things that they're interested in, but realizing like, maybe I only follow white people who do things that I'm interested in, you know, like I tie dye a lot of things. There are white people who tie dye things, but maybe we have something in common and maybe it'd be interesting to see what my voice um, can add to like the, the makers community. Um, so things like that uh, have been really interesting too. So now I'm like trying to, we have a lot of new orders and, and, and a small spike in business, which I'm very grateful for. But then also it's like, okay, so how long? We're all going to do this for this doesn't this doesn't end when you post something on social media it ends when there is actually mm-hmm. race equality right so so part of me and even as we're getting all these new orders i'm like this is my opportunity as a black business to show other people that there are things that black businesses have to offer because i do think that you know maybe white people don't go out of their way to buy from black businesses or maybe we've just not been around enough in and, and cross paths with them, with potential white customers. But for me, I'm trying to specifically make sure that we offer a service that people can then refer because I can see this as an opportunity to grow our, um, our following, our, you know, potentially really become a mainstream business, right? Not just like a niche item, but as people say, you know, I want to celebrate diversity. This is one way they can do it. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of times if it's a mm-hmm. if it's a white business, it's just a business, uh-huh. and then mm-hmm. if it's a black business, it's a black business. And mm-hmm. 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 we're seeing a lot more interest in black people, like uh, in, in in trying to be in in people trying to extend equality, right, or some sorts of feelings of unity. But at the same time, it's like okay, all these companies that are speaking out, what do your boardrooms look like? Um, all the people that think things are crazy. Like, are you having uncomfortable conversations or are you just posting something on Instagram for solidarity? Like, we don't really know right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Have you been hearing from customers about um, like what they're going through, what they need, um, what they're kind of thinking about? I sent out an email to our list today just to kind of be like, you know, thank you for showing us so much love and support. And then I just kind of listed out the things that we need. We truly need people to share that they, this is a business that they love. We want people to, you know, follow some of our friends who are great at talking about anti, how to be anti-racist. And then we also want patience because to be honest, we weren't fulfilling masks on Monday or Tuesday this week. You know, we just weren't working. We were not working. We just didn't feel it was, I wasn't working. My brother wasn't working. Nobody was working. And it was, we didn't even have a conversation about it. Just no work got done. You know what I'm saying? So for our customers, it's, they've just been trying to sing more praises, refer more people and help us grow. Um, you know, also not because anybody attacked me personally, but it is, there is a perceived attack, right? So my customers want to make sure that I feel like I'm part of a community that cares 
Yeah, I think that I think a lot of small businesses, that's that's why you get into businesses. You want to mm-hmm. be part of something. You want to be mm-hmm. part of a community. You want to support a community. Yeah. As we continue to share our stories, we can talk about how things are different because we're of color, right? Or how yeah. almost this, there's a perceived ceiling, you know, for how big your business can go because it's a business run by a person of color. If you're not sure, let's say you don't have black friends, like, you know, this could be the way for you to get to know more people of color. So by like really being a part of the community, so this might be the exchange that somebody needs in order to really feel solid in, in, in buying black and, and more consciously buying black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how are your employees feeling um, over in Liberia right now? Yeah, they're okay because I don't think that, um, I don't think Liberia took as big a hit. So things are getting, are normalizing over there, right? And when we say normalize, like, yes, people are still wearing masks, but that's the only, that seems to be the only big difference. Whereas here, I know there will be huge differences, you know, in in restaurant capacity and nightclub capacity and all these things. But over there, it just seems to be like people will wear masks. Yeah, and I mean, I, it, it it makes sense that um, mm-hmm. if if masks need to be worn, then those are going mm-hmm. to be uh, there's going those are going to be a statement piece. Yeah, we are definitely moving in a toward a space of making these things, making everything more fashionable, so that because we need to make the decision to like to do this for the long haul, so we might as well have something that we're happy with. Yeah, and for sure with Corona, I think that there was there was a solid like two weeks where I was kind of in the bed out of the bed, in the bed, like trying ordering delivery food, trying to figure out like what is going to come next. But it wasn't that I felt there was an attack on being me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the difference is big. It's your value uh, being threatened, you know? So, um, so there's not quite been time to process that. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to all the little things, right? The little microaggressions. We, we grew up in a very, my family came to America and, to flee the war. And we grew up in a very white neighborhood where we had, there were kids that my siblings were friends with. That my, my sisters could go to their house, but their parents would never let their kids come to our house. Or, or I remember the first time that my mom taught me how to wash my hair. I was in like, sixth grade or something like that. And I was so proud that I'd washed my hair on my own. And I got on the bus and I told my, my friend that I finally washed my hair and she called me dirty because I had never washed my hair before. How could I possibly been bathing this whole time? You know, like you, you think about those things and they're, they're big, but, but, but it happens all the time. So my world isn't going to stop for them. I was at a bar with a guy and his friend came over and he, I don't know what his friend did, but I said that I was from Africa and the man started clicking at me as if like, you know, and, but this was, and this was what November in 2019, (laughs) like a man felt it was appropriate to click at me, you know? And he didn't do it just like a few, he kept going, you know, and we're kind of sitting there like, but, but it didn't end my night. Right. Like, it, it didn't end my night because I'm, I'm used to it a little bit. Right. But, but I also didn't die. 
because of it. So, I mean, I don't know. There's not much to... What do you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's awful to... Yeah, like, I, there's, there's no other way around that. That's just mm-hmm. awful. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of people right now are starting to, uh, I guess, uh, I, I would at least hope understand the difference um and the danger between thinking like oh i'm not racist Mm -hmm. because i think that nothing changes the biggest thing for me is like this feels like everybody's doing it right now you know it's kind of like the the ice bucket challenge like everybody's doing it right now you know so how do we make sure that people keep doing it and how do we make sure that they know that in two years it's not going to be done you know what i mean They can't be like in 2020, we really had a push and that changed everything. This is something that will be ongoing. And I don't know how to best communicate that. And I don't know that I need to like, you know? Yeah, no, you you don't. It's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's on everybody to, to fight, to, to, to remove oppression from anybody. I don't want to make it seem like I am just like such this victim because while there may be things that happen, I am so focused on pushing past them and making the things that will happen come yeah. to life that I really don't sit in that space that much. But I will say that if I felt more comfortable, like there are certain boutiques that I would just know I could sell it. There's a particular boutique in Ponce Market, but they kept pushing back the meeting with me, you know, until, and, and they were like, oh, Corona or oh, this or oh, that. And so now we're not bringing on anybody new. But randomly we have a dress one dress hanging on a mannequin there it's it's kind of a it's a weird situation our dress is on the mannequin where the the bag there's there are some bag makers and the bag makers hang their bags on the look right so our dress is not for sale in the store but it's just dressing the mannequin but because they're bag makers they're not selling any clothes but they didn't want a naked mannequin and people always ask who made that dress who made that dress and and I don't know if what else we could do to look appealing to the management of the store, like, you know, and say, give us a shot because you, some of your customers have asked and I think we could do well here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you, Rochelle. I'm so glad that, that we've had a chance to, to chat a few times uh, about the, about the business that you're running. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I'm stoked for, for what you're, what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited too. And I also, I just feel pressure to be able to rise to the occasion because I know that a lot of times, especially when it comes to small businesses and small black businesses, even especially when it comes to investment or customer service or whatever, it's like the black entrepreneur gets one shot and they're doing it for the whole race. It feels like, whereas white entrepreneurs can like go try and get funding. Oh, this company didn't work. Maybe they can pivot or, but it won't stop the investor from giving money to the next white entrepreneur. So I feel an immense amount of pressure to try to say the right things, even though I don't really have the words, but to also just really prove through my business that I'm doing well because then, or that I can offer a good product or something that's worth having or worth buying or purchasing. Because if somebody comes to my business, tries to buy from my business and has a bad experience, they may not shop at other black businesses again. And it's, it's crazy to think that that would be part of it but but i believe that to be true and so it's important that i do well so that it opens up the field for possibility for others
A lot of us started our own small businesses because we want to put our money where our hearts are. We want to affect positive change through commerce. Whether that's helping those economically affected by a pandemic or working to digest how we can show up for and support the Black, Indigenous, and People of Color movement. If we believe ourselves to be good people and run good businesses and then do nothing to change the arc of injustice, then it's hard to square away that perceived goodness as being true. Businesses, even small ones, have audiences, reach, and commerce. The work here is as intertwined with our businesses as our businesses are with our personal lives. Economics, as I've said in earlier episodes, is just people connecting with other people. And that means creating equal opportunities for all businesses to make those connections. In a comedy special from years ago, Hassan Minhaj, an Indian American, said that he had the audacity of equality growing up in America in a family of immigrants. As he should, because the West reports that everyone has free and equal rights to achieve what they want. The only way to achieve this, though, is to get uncomfortable as to why that's not the case and bring into light where oppressive structures and antiquated racist systems exist so that they can then be thoroughly dismantled. What I liked most about this season was all the guests were doing their part to show up while acknowledging just how much work still needs to happen. We have to do our part as individuals and businesses to reshape a world that's better than it was before. Let's show up for each other and show up together. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in to season one of Call Paul. Call Paul is produced by Ruth Eddy and is a MailChimp original podcast. To hear more from all the guests we've reconnected with, check out their full episodes. To learn more about my thoughts on business and living online, you can hop on my newsletter by visiting sundaydispatches.com. If you like what we've been doing here, please leave a review of the show on iTunes. And we'd love to hear from your small business as well. So you can always send us an email to callpaul at mailchimp.com 